Yeah, good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's a uh, it's kind of a uh, it's a beautiful day, but it's kind of odd with the the air and everything. So uh, it's one of those deals, I guess. It's I I do want to thank everybody that came out on the Pelican Breeze on Sunday. We uh, we brought rain. It had been so dry, and for the whole time we it rained the whole time we were on the boat. So I think we served a great public service by. I, nobody was dancing that I saw, but apparently we're doing rain dances on the inside. And I would like to express my sympathy to Brenda Katasik, a listener from St. Peter on the death of her husband, Aww. Chuck. Uh, Brenda is uh, one of the the leading forces of the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah in beautiful Henderson. So uh, I'll miss Chuck and just want to say my condolences. A, I'm out driving four in the morning. Yeah, I know. I don't know what I'm doing out there. I'm counting birds. <laughs> Do you have you a know, baby, just... Al? Because when we had Grant, um, when he was yeah. small, the only way we could put him back to sleep was Jeff would drive around the the for I don't know for hours, <laughs> and then he was afraid to stop driving because he'd wake up. So maybe you're you're practicing to be a grandfather again or something. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah. I was headed to to look at birds somewhere, and there was a great horned owl in the road and flew up in front of me, right at like 401 or something. And it looked so light because the headlights washed out its color. And later on, I saw another one on the road. So they're out there hunting. It makes a good hunting grounds for great horned owls. Once it started to get light, it wasn't quite light, so it a little before five probably there was a common yellow throat calling follow me follow me wait up wait up and then as soon as i could see there was a cat bird that appeared tastefully dressed in a stylish great suit and it added scat this vocal improvisation of jazz and a little later, I, look, I could look up in the air and see things pretty clearly. There were flying TVs, uh, turkey vultures. And I watched them for a while, and then I went into the woods for a walk where ticks and mosquitoes and deer <laughs> flies were my grizzly bears. And I strolled around a lake at uh, the edge of the woods, on the other edge of the woods, and there were no mosquitoes there. A fella told me, and, oh, I don't know where it was, he was a speaker, and he told me that 95% of the mosquitoes come from 5% of the water. And I think that sounds about right. Uh, temporary water and changing water levels make for prime breeding habitats for many mosquitoes. We're always told that they can breed in a bottle cap oh. with a little water in it. Certainly old tires and things are prime breeding areas for mosquitoes. So I watched dragonflies, and dragonflies in both the larval and the adult stage feed on mosquitoes. So I, I say go dragonflies. We need some high school uh, athletic teams called the dragonflies. I notice, uh, still noticing, tiny white frothy blobs on various plants. And they're produced by the nymphs of spittle bugs, and it looks like spit. And it keeps the nymph from drying out, and it discourages predators. Because if you're a predator, you're going to come up and go, ew, 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 and they won't touch it. Uh, adult spittlebugs are sometimes called frog hoppers. 
and I'm I'm guessing a lot of folks are familiar with leaf hoppers, and they look they resemble leaf hoppers, and they're called frog hoppers because their heads are elevated when the insect is at rest, and spittle bugs provide food for meadow larks and other birds. I I know I've mentioned this, but I want to say a couple things. I, I spoke at the hundredth anniversary celebration of the amazing Audubon Society of Greater Cleveland recently. They're great people who do great things. They've uh, preserved a lot of habitat out there. And a friend, uh, Matt Valenchik, and his wife have a horse. It's one of those little miniature horses, just a tiny, tiny little thing. They had a big horse. And then big horses need companionship, so they got a little horse to keep the big horse company, and then the big horse died, so now they just have the little horse. They have a horse barn, because if you get a horse, you got to have a horse barn. Dark-eyed juncos nest between the hay bales stored in that horse barn, and they have three broods per year. This is in northeastern Ohio, and juncos will nest in hanging flower pots or light fixtures, but they love hay bales. Uh, Matt was superb company as I tended to my steps on beautiful trails, again, in northeastern Ohio, and they were up and down but hospitable. I listened to an eastern towhee call, say towhee, and a willow flycatcher utter achoo as if it was sneezing, a red-eyed vireo, which my father called a preacher bird because it went on and on, was counting the leaves of the tree it sang from. And mnemonics for this song include, look at me, way up high, over here, in a tree, and here I am, where are you, over and over again. I uh, joined a nature hike led by a remarkable optometrist named Jim Tomko from Aurora, Ohio, who saw everything in nature, and a big man named Kenny walked with me. A great guy, just really big. He had hands like meat hooks, we used to say. (laughs) And another hiker told a story of being unable to spot a scarlet tanager. A scarlet tanager is a color of a cardinal with its bright lights on in a giant tree, and Kenny walked over and thumped the tree with his bare hand, and the bird flew from it. Uh, John Lillich led a walk through the lovely Hawk Otis Sanctuary in Willoughby Hills. Uh, John tries to be two things each day, he told me, a student and a teacher, and I can attest he's an outstanding teacher. He showed me a couple of American chestnut trees, and American chestnut trees once made up 25% of the forest in eastern North America. They were so plentiful, folklore says, that a squirrel could have traveled the chestnut canopy from Georgia to Maine without ever touching the ground. And the trees grew to 125 feet tall, or 120, and they lived for 600 years with straight, light, and rot-resistant wood. The fungus came in and wiped out the trees. It was different found in New York in 1904, and by 1912, all the chestnut trees in New York City were dead. And by 1950, 90% of the species had died. But thanks to John, I met two American chestnut trees that had survived. Uh, Roger Davidson sent me an article from the New York uh, Times about an uptick seen in the red knots on the Jersey Shore. They do an annual spring count, and it's instilled hope that the threatened shorebird may be recovering from recent decline. 
they think and they they've done some crab harvesting bans and that's partly credited at least for the rise and uh, roger was also kind enough to send me something from the duluth tribune local wildlife photographer and loon educator steve Maynum captured a winning photo of minnesota's beloved state bird his image of a big man trap lake loon and chick on the nest entitled patiently waiting is featured on this year's loon appreciation week poster he won the same contest in 2019 sponsored by loon watch and i was glad to hear that because steve's a friend of mine uh, from a park rapids area so that was great thank you roger uh, Vicki Laroon and Tom said, you have us giggling this morning. Well, thanks, Vicki. Uh, our wrens chose the northeast-facing house this year and are busy feeding their brood, now only seven days old, we think. They're so vocal when the parents are new uh, on a new run for more bugs. Little time for the parents to rest, but they sing, or I feel they throw their heads back and laugh at life. Always a favorite summer sound. The hummers are visiting, delighting us daily. The yard is active with nuthatch fledges following their parents from tree to tree to feed. The chickadees, cardinals, house finches, and more are thrilling us with song. And the red-bellied woodpecker hammering on the old dead branches of trees, all giving us the best reasons to laugh at life with the wrens. Uh, Jack May sent me a lovely photo of a male red-winged blackbird. They are just Boy, they're photogenic. Uh, Steve and Susan Erickson of Albert Lee said they're just having so much fun watching robins building the nests and the babies fledging. Uh, Bob Williams saw a yellow-breasted chat in Blue Earth County. Uh, Jerry Pruitt, a friend from Rochester, saw an American avocet in Olmstead County. Chad Hines saw a blue grosbeak in Blue Earth County. Uh, Steve Raymond said, I know it's not about birds, but I'm sure you'll appreciate how thrilled I was on my motorcycle. Down on the Judson Bottom Road, I came around the corner and saw a young mink in the road about a foot and a half long with a six to eight inch tail. Keep your stories coming. Well, Steve, it's great to hear from you. Thank you. Yeah, they're a uh, minker. They're, they're beautiful animals, you know. Maybe they weigh four pounds. Is probably a big mink. They, it's a brown predator. It's kind of a drought, dark brown usually. They have these really small little rounded ears. And then they have a white or yellow bib. And they are just, uh, they love to be around wherever there's water. So if you see a marsh or a small pond or something, there's probably mink there somewhere. Now, how common uh, are mink? Because, you know, they used to farm them, and I don't think they have any more just because of the controversy with slaughtering mink for coats and things. So are they very common in the wild anymore? I know they used to be really common in captivity because the rendering truck always used to come and get the dead cows, and they said they always brought them to feed the minks. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I know I've mentioned this often, but and when I was... Um, a kid, I'm probably pre-teenage. I helped out at a mink farm because uh, uh, a relative was helping out there, so I I helped out because that's what you do. And they fed them everything. They would uh, bring in muskrats. People used to get a lot of muskrats, and they would skin them out, and then they'd take the bodies to this mink farm. 
and he would grind them up with potatoes because Hollandale, Minnesota, some years there would be so many potatoes they couldn't sell them all, so he'd go over there and get them by the truckload. So he'd make kind of a hash out of muskrats and potatoes. Hmm, that sounds good, doesn't it? And then feed it to the mink. So they, uh, but you know, now we have clothes that are they're warmer than than the furs and lighter and things, so we don't do that much. But there are still a lot of mink out there. Do we see them? No, we don't. Uh, they're not. Uh, they don't want to be seen. So they're kind of sneaking around, and they're very good at hiding. And um, you know, sometimes when we're walking by those little things on the trail they're certainly watching us but they are a fairly common animal and you know you always want to put air quotes around common because there's common and then commonly seen so they're more common than commonly seen uh gail christensen said she is seeing fewer hummingbirds this year are any others experiencing this I, I, you know, I, I see them. I don't know if I'm seeing less or more. I just, I know that the breeding bird surveys, if you go back to their numbers from 1966 through 2019, I think are the numbers I have, the population of the ruby-throated hummingbird has increased each year. Every one of those years has gone up, the population. But Gail, everything is local. You know, you could be seeing, I said, uh, you know, people don't see mink. Gail, somebody, you could be seeing uh, 10 mink a day. You know, it's just things are local. So I don't know, but we'd happily hear from anyone who is saying, man, I'm not seeing any, or I I have to beat them off with a stick because they're just (laughs) taking over the feeders here. So I'd love to hear from you. Matt Hayes of Mankato said he'd been watching the Decora Eagle Cam. And how does an eaglet stay hydrated? Can it stay hydrated through uh, ingesting food alone? Boy, you nailed it, Matt. That's how they do it. And uh, you watch sometimes on those cams, when it rains, it'll come down pretty good. And uh, if the parent eagles are, they will sometimes come and cover them up, but sometimes they're not always there for the rain. So it'll, uh, the little eaglets will just kind of flatten out and let the rain fall on them and then when it's done then they get up and they preen so it's just like they had a shower and then they're toweling off but they do get uh, what moisture they need from their food so that's a great question uh john rude of albert lee said what do baby wood ducks eat uh, they eat insects, algae, small fish, duckweed, uh, aquatic insects, invertebrates, and uh, so a lot of stuff out there for them to eat. And they, in turn, are eaten by uh, snapping turtles and uh, uh, northerns, big northerns and things. We'll certainly eat them. Say, Al, before uh, you go on, i got a, a couple more uh, sure. from the text that I want to read that came a little later. And this is from our friend Jennifer. Hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about chickens being raised by ducks. I saw a video online of a mama duck and her two babies who had an adopted chicken swimming with them. The video showed oh. this little family with when the chicken was a baby and full grown. Do chickens normally swim? Do you think this confused little chicken eats chicken food or duck food is he going to try working 
wooing a lady duck instead of a chicken? If it were a lady chicken who ended up with babies of her own, would she raise them like chickens or ducks? Thank you, Jennifer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We used to have uh, mallards sometimes, sadly, would get hit in the fields because they would nest in hay fields and things, so we'd bring the eggs up and give them to little banty hens. And banty hens were like the the epitome of a mother they just uh they were uh they worried about everything so we'd give it to them and they would hatch those eggs and they would treat them just as if they were a chick but sooner or later you know maybe after a heavy rain or something the ducks would discover a little pond maybe a temporary pond and they'd jump in and the chicken would have a cow that poor little hen she'd run around there you know get out of there are you nuts get out of there and the little ducklings of course they're just well happiest ducks in water and so it it certainly could happen the other way can chickens swim they have an innate ability to swim but they don't Uh, they're just not i they're not their wings and their feathers, they're not waterproof, so they get just soggy. So it's kind of maybe not a, a nice experience for them. But I have seen them come out, uh, our chickens, and uh, they'll go back where the grass is fairly tall after a rain, and then they'll flop around in there and just uh, kind of take a quick bath and then preen, just like those eaglets were doing. So... <clears throat> So they they certainly can swim, and probably that young one will, you know, who knows. Uh, They imprint on things. Uh, Fowl or geese are noted for imprinting on people and things. And I had a goose that followed me around all the time. She was my uh, one sure date when I was a young (laughs) fella because she she liked me. I know if, if I'd asked her to go for a ride, she would say, yeah, let's go. Um, did you so feed her that, or what? How did she become attached to you? Uh, you know, we came upon her. An odd thing, she was a little uh, gosling in a ditch. Aww. And we don't know how she got there. She was a domestic goose. And we just took her home. And uh, I was the first one to see her, so I became her mom, I guess. Aww. And she just... Uh, she followed me around and was uh, dedicated to me and just uh, so it's nice having somebody that kind of just you know follows you around and says you are the coolest man Jen- so it it was they do imprint on things so these chicken she sure could imprint but uh, there's probably some chickens there too where they have so she will say well you know I, I look a lot like those I think what part of me I can see anyway so it's hard telling what she'll end up being maybe a cross between the two <laughs> a chick ducking or something yeah so Jennifer has a PS too and then we've got a couple more texts from okay. folks here Jennifer says an update on my mulberry trees from last week those crazy birds in their frenzy knocked down a lot of unripe berries which my dog promptly feasted on mistakes were made the results were awful <laughs> Exorcist yeah, style puking and something involving the other end as well. Oh. Please warn other listeners to keep their pooches away from the unique berries or unripe oh. berries. Yeah, because uh, they're just 
barely attached once they ripen. So if you shake those branches, they just come down like a heavy rain. And uh, my wife pulled into the driveway the other night, and here was a nice uh, chubby raccoon out there just hoovering up all the mulberries that had fallen on the lawn. So there's always something out there to eat them. Chipmunks love them, too. I got a a note from our friend Jeff in Janesville. He says some, uh, let's see, here it is. He says uh, some uh, goslings were crossing Highway 14 East between Smith's Mill and Eagle Lake without a parent, seeing them watching before moms uh, leading them and dad would before and the moms and dads were leading them uh, and uh, would be standing in the ditch watching. What do you think both parents uh, were missing seems a little bit odd. It it does, Jeff, because, man, if their Canada goose parents are uh, what do they call them, helicopter parents, they are there all the time. And mom is leading them here and there, and dad is watching. He's standing guard and yelling at us if we get too close or if anything gets too close, a cat. or uh, Yeah, it's, that is concerning, I guess, Jeff. I don't know. And, I'm, I, you know, they wouldn't be big enough to be all on their own independent they they certainly know how to eat and uh, fertilize things so they got that down pat but i i don't know i hope they were in the ditch uh cheerleading saying you can do it like <laughs> rob schneider does in all those movies so i don't know jeff i i wish i i wish i knew i hope they weren't hit by a car or something. Did you see the video that was released of the Twin Cities? Of They um, actually closed a lane down. They had a big sign that says lane closed because of um, wildlife in the, the lane. And so they had the, the video from the, I don't know, highway cam or whatever it's called and people would you know slow down, turn lanes, slow down, turn lanes. And then there was one guy, no excuse, he just plowed him over. And it was yeah. the saddest thing I've ever seen. And I just thought, what's wrong with that guy? And then there was people on the, the Facebook that were saying, well, geese shouldn't be crossing in the highway. Well, hello, who put the highway there in their way, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. There's people that are always, Sad. well, yeah, there's just, we all know there's people like that, and it's too bad. And Rich said, I saw a bobcat as I was coming into St. Peter last week. He says, uh, then a male, he says, them male catbirds rival the grosbeaks singing this year. Most singing I've ever heard. They, uh, I was listening to a catbird this morning, and it was cool. Uh, last night I was listening to a brown thrasher. It was like he was working out his, his, on, his repertoire of songs, and it's just amazing all the different songs they throw in there. And you can tell they're... They'll throw this out and say, well, you know, that kind of sounds good. So they'll run through it again and maybe put a little bit more emphasis on this. And it's just uh, they are such lovely singers. And the Rosebreast of Grosbeak, uh, when I was a kid, I was always told they were singing like a robin who had had singing lessons. And uh, it's kind of true. They have that beautiful whistle. And the thing about rose-breasted grosbeaks, one of the many things about them is they sing while they're on the nest. Most birds are pretty secretive, and they don't want to sing because they don't want to let anybody know that this is going on. Well, they uh, they sing for some reason. Oh. Uh, 
the, I, I've got more. Is that okay? And then we oh, <laughs> Noah mentioned about the oh, the ahead. bobcat. Oh, sure. Uh, we we do see them here on occasion. They're reported every year. Uh, bobcats. They talk about uh, fishers, which we don't <clears throat> we don't have here. Hmm. Uh, coyotes will sometimes uh, they compete. Will sometimes kill a bobcat. But a bobcat will also kill a fisher and a coyote. Oh. And last night, uh, I was out for a walk, and the uh, coyotes had set up a howl. So it was. Oh. I love hearing that. It's just the coolest sound. Well, Noah from Mankato said he was up in Rush City a few days ago, or a few weeks ago, and he noticed a lot of turkey vultures, and they were fighting, or at least looked like they were fighting, with the geese. Is that normal? How common is it that the vultures here uh with vultures here and do they compete with other birds uh other than there's the geese thanks uh thanks noah yeah what a interesting sighting okay i can play like a csi thing maybe a uh, a gosling or something had been hit by a car or was deceased and the vultures were in there because that's a meal and uh, the geese were upset about everything uh, that would be, if I had to guess, that's what it was, but who knows what was really going on there. They really don't compete with anything because their bill isn't sharp enough to be much of a uh, a weapon, and their talons aren't strong enough to be much of a weapon. So if they come in on something and a bald eagle decides, I want to eat that, uh, that roadkill, the eagle's going to eat it because the vultures might glare at it and kind of make that hissing sound, but that's pretty much all they can do. They're not uh, uh, a predatory bird. They're a scavenger. So, Noah, I I wish I had a a better answer. That's the first thing that comes to my mind, but it was, uh, boy, it's amazing what we see when we look. So, So thanks, Noah, for sharing that. And John sent me a little note. This is he sent a bunch of stuff, but this one he says the gnats are still bad by my place. He said I thought I saw a blink from a lightning bug. I hope it's not too dry out for them. I do see a rabbit almost every day. Hope a stray cat or hawk doesn't get it. He says the goldfinch frenzy at the neighbor's bird feeders only lasted a few weeks. He said birds are fun, but seeing the rabbit is more fun. He takes naps, he stretches, <laughs> etc. I like that. Yeah. Thank you, John. Yeah, you know, gnats, a cloud of gnats, uh, they might be irritating, but they do provide a little shade. So on a <laughs> sunny day, you got to say, well, thanks, gnats, because oh, you're really, really nice having this. So, yeah, and it's funny how um, gnats, my mother, mosquitoes didn't bother her, but gnats just destroyed her. They, there was something in her system, apparently, that the mosquitoes did not care for. But the gnats, it was like a the root beer stand had just opened. They were there. So, I, I, One thing here from a listener, Karen says, what kind of rabbit is Bugs Bunny? Oh, good question. Yeah. I, I can't do a DNA analysis on Bugs, so I can't be sure, but I don't think he's a rabbit at all. Uh, I think, you know, look at the length of his ears and those long legs. 
I'd say he's a hare, uh, you know, like a jackrabbit or one of the other hares. And hares have these precocial babies, so they're born furred, open-eyed, and ready to run. And rabbits have altricial babies that are born hairless with eyes closed and dependent on mom. So I'd say Bugs Bunny is a hare. And, uh, boy, that's a big stand to take. So uh, Bugs Bunny, I don't know. I'll try to figure out if maybe Bugs said at one time what he was because a lot of cartoon (laughs) characters did admit to being certain things at one time or another. The same listener asked, why do bats fly close to humans who are already worried that the bats might become tangled in their hair? Uh, yeah, they probably do. It's, uh, folklore asserts that a bat will stay tangled in someone's hair until driven out by thunder and lightning. I don't know if any of you <laughs> ever heard that. If you got one in your hair, you're stuck with it till the next thunderstorm. So or you might want to hop in the yeah, hop in the car and drive till you f- can find lightning. Uh, bats fly float. They fly low over our heads. I was walking last night, and they were flying close to me. And they do that because they're in search of insect prey, not hair. And my activities, I'm out there tromping up and down with my big feet. I'm flushing insects for them. So I'm thinking that's why they're out there flying around me, because I like the swallows when we're mowing the lawn. At night, the bats, I'm providing food for them, so they appreciate me. Just like my old my old goose did. <laughs> hey, um, thanks everybody, man. It's great hearing from y'all, and uh, uh, appreciate a lot of you that uh, we heard from for the first time, and we hope it's the first of many times we hear from you. And so, thanks for sitting on the front porch with us. Uh, you know, the road can be bumpy even when it's not a road, and. My flight had been delayed because a couple of planes had arrived on time and it gummed up the works. And I sat near the departure gate. I bet most of you have been there. And I read a few chapters of a book. So time went by, and it didn't seem long before I was moving along at 518 miles per hour into a 43-mile-per-hour headwind at an altitude of 35,011 feet. The outside temperature, 60 below. Everything was copacetic until the person in the seat right next to me said, the only time I wear adult diapers is when I fly. (laughs) I continued to read my book. Remember, folks, heartless while we're driving past, thanks for listening. Uh, Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, uh, thank you, as always, for your fine company. Folks, if you have not looked at the Mankato Free Press, uh, boy, I don't know what day that was, Karen, but there was a nice story in there about Karen and her Saturday. It was Saturday. Saturday. Yep. Yep. You had a little hosta tour. It was a great tour, Al. I want to let you know they had a bus come down from the Minnesota Hosta Society, uh, and they usually do it just in the Twin Cities. So it was nice. They did my garden and and, uh, Kim Sogard, who has beautiful, beautiful hosta gardens. And my sister was actually on the bus. So this is kind of a funny story because my sister obviously knows where the lake house is. Well, she said she texted me when they were coming down. She goes, I don't know why the bus driver is going this route. She says, it isn't one I would use. And so she said they get, they actually got in Mankato and she said, well, the lake house is on Lake Washington, which is, you know, 10 miles northeast of Mankato. And so they kept driving and they kept getting closer to my home here, just south of campus a little bit. And she said, 
I thought, well, maybe they changed and they were going to the other person's house first. And once they got close to the house, of course, the only ones who would have been home were my teenage boys who were still in bed at the time. And she said she spoke up then finally and said, she goes, well, where are we going? And, and the, the organizer said, well, this is the, the, the address I had. And Cheryl said, well, it's at the lake house. And somebody else said, well, yeah, it says it's 10 miles northeast of the Twin Cities. Oh, gosh. So in the process, the bus driver tried to back, turn around and took out somebody's mailbox in the neighborhood there. <laughs> and I know. So it was, and they got there about an hour late, which was good because it had been raining and blowing and white caps on the water. And just as they got there, it, it settled down. So it was a good day. All in all, but yeah, the, and, and Edie Schmierbach did a wonderful job with the article. So, oh, uh, Edie is—I uh, nice. can't say enough enough nice things about Edie. She's she's a uh, she's a a wonder, is what Edie is. I have to ask you one last question yeah. before we go. Uh, did you talk about deer and hostas? Well, you know, people would ask what you put on, you know, and I talked about the Malorganite. That's one thing a lot of folks use on. It's it's a, doubles as a fertilizer and a deer repellent because it's the uh, Milwaukee people poop. So, uh, so, and I I also use a thing called Deer Defeat. It's a spray, uh, a natural spray that's it's got garlic and all kinds of other stinky things in it that the deer don't bother, and that's worked for me so far. So yes, well, they, that's great to hear because I I get asked that. Uh, several times a week, oh. folks with hostas, they just battle deer. Well, I would say malorganite and uh, deer defeat and uh, do it early deer because, defeat. yeah, it's called, and I learned about this on a, uh, the Wisconsin had a garden expo online during 2020 because it was the, the COVID, of course. And so I went to online to sessions and they talked about this deer defeat and it's only available online. And so I ordered it and that's been What's helped me? So I guess it works for me. And both have to be after a rain or heavy dew. You have to reapply them, I'm guessing. Well, you know, this deer defeat, no, it, it lasts for 30 days. So I... Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I, but I do, I mean, I've been diligent about it this year because I was knew I was having the tour. So I was a little extra diligent just in case. So... <laughs> But it's wow. worked in the past, so yeah, I would uh, I would recommend it. It's easy, and uh, you know it seems like it's expensive, but it goes a long way when you buy one of those big big jugs of it. So there you go. Well, thank you, and thank Edie, and thank you all the good folks that came down in the bus demolition derby. So, yes, uh, <laughs> thanks, Al. Talk to you later. <laughs> all right, bye bye.